So, if I may, I would like to speak to you a little bit with, with regard to the uh, theme of uh, radical dharma, speak a little bit about uh, the act of generosity of heart, the giving of uh, love, and then can follow on from there for any uh, questions, etc., that you may uh, have, some dialogue, some uh, exchange, and we'll just see how the time fl- uh, flows along. And if at any point, any point in time, you feel you need to go, just free human being, you just get up and you go. I'm quite used to people leaving in my talks. <laughs> <laughs> If I was sitting in the audience and some of the things that I said I heard, I'd get up and walk out. So. <laughs> um, just uh, firstly with regard to uh, open dharma and uh, beloved jaya. That, uh, I've known the good ladies, um, I think since her late teens, when uh, jaya came from uh, the US to uh, uh, Mother India, and spent some months in uh, Budgaya, the place of the Buddha's uh, awakening. And through that period of uh, time there, her contact and association with the Dharma, with uh, practice, with the realization just grew very, very uh, deeply. And through the years, uh, she and I have been very dear and uh, close friends, as she has to many other people. And her background with her uh, uh, education of course at Harvard and then being on the staff at uh, IMS but essentially for some 17 years living and based uh, in uh, India small flat in Lucknow student of of, uh, Punjaji and in the uh, late 1990s with uh, uh, Jaya as the the founder really of the uh, Open Dharma uh, project and uh, initiative Having known her for quite a few years at that time, I uh, said to Ajaya, it would be just lovely with your wealth of experience, and she's always, and still is, very, very unassuming, and rather quiet in the being. So I said to Ajaya, please give some support, some help, in the Dharma program in Saranath. It was the very first one with myself and Norman Feldman, Dharma teacher from Canada, and, uh, and, and Jai very kindly agreed. And my abiding memory of it is, she gave a, a, a talk, and giving a talk, and a public talk, and uh, maybe 80, 100 people uh, lending, a, lending in here, it can be a little bit formidable, and especially a person of quiet demeanour as the Jaya. And she gave this remarkable, exceptionally wonderful talk on the interconnectedness of all things and the importance of exploration and realizing. And um, sitting next to me was my uh, partner at the time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this would be another one. <laughs> oh, I shouldn't say that again, the hot water. And. Um, and sitting next to me was uh, Nina from uh, uh, Stockholm, who was my partner at the time. And at the end of the talk, the only thing I can remember, Nina turned to me 
And she said, that was just a, a wonderful talk. I've got a new guru, your history. <laughs> Nine years later, I'm still in recovery. <laughs> All right, so this is Jaya. And um, from, from that, her uh, lovely presence and with uh, Gemma and uh, OJ have, do, have and continue to do just remarkable and exceptional uh, work on behalf of many, many people. The international community, including uh, um, people living in, in uh, India, there. And uh, she, she and I have, you know, apart from our deep love of the Dharma and having the privilege of the same job, as I always like to say, as the Buddha, you know, small fish, but same job. <laughs> and um, in talk uh, with Jai, one of the things that we do share in common is that we have the same uh, birthday. Uh, April the 22nd there of course I'm a little older <laughs> so on April the 22nd uh, she had her 40th birthday and a few days after finishing her uh, in the foothills of the Himalayas her uh, deep rest uh, retreat which went on for five weeks which some people have thought it was the depressed retreat you see mm -hmm. deep rest retreat just <laughs> get it uh, clear and um, she wrote and she said, I have a little news for you uh, on the email. So I waited a week or two. And uh, you know, she's in a relationship with uh, Gemma. A lovely, beautiful relationship. It's a lovely, lovely to, to see the two women together. And then Jaya and I emailed about something else. And then came, uh, and then I said, hey, what's the news? There. And a um, day or two later, the reply came. And um, typical Jaya, it, it said, big news, little news. And then just said, um, oh, I'm pregnant and I'm having a, a baby on December the 1st. And I looked at, you know, looked at I went, wow! <laughs> and then, so then I emailed back. I said, I just have a a few small questions <laughs> because we're, we're into inquiry <laughs> and I said my questions are very easy who, what, why, when and how <laughs> so a lot of it is still in the mystery because Jai is into the mystery and keeps us in it as well <laughs> there but um, um, and it still is so uh, at the beginning it's, it's very Jaya-ish what others do, she has to so um, in early December we're uh, waiting and I just had a, some of you would have received as well a rather expansive uh, photograph of her expanding universe <laughs> and of course quite soon she'll have to all intents and purposes uh, I always think uh, those of you parents or have parents be the having a baby in one's life is more challenging than living with a Zen master. <laughs> there. It is a Zen master, actually. And, um, and well, she'll handle it all very, very well, and it'll all will emerge in all due course. Rather uh, wonderful. So, out of all of this, of course, and, and prior to all of that, a number of you and, uh, and other places as well. Uh, wish to give consideration, to give support, that open-heartedness, the act of generosity, 
and there's this extraordinary philanthropic tradition in this country. Very generous one, uh, 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 I must say. I was speaking with Jack Cornfield uh, today, and I don't know if it's a state secret, but if it is, don't tell anybody. <laughs> so, <laughs> and um, he just me- mentioned that in the expansion program at uh, Spirit Rock, that uh, so far they have raised 50% of the target. The target is only $16 million. So they've raised $8 million. Uh, uh, there. So I said before coming here this evening to the yogis at Spirit Rock that I was coming down here and um, a smaller sum was needed. <laughs> and, and so I said to them, because there's some affluent people there, if you could give me a check for around anybody for around half a million dollars, then I probably wouldn't have to go out this evening. <laughs> <laughs> and s- someone came up to me and had written out a check for five hundred dollars for the Open Dharma program, which is there. And um, I'll be adding some notes after. <laughs> no, wicked, wicked. <laughs> All right. There are more serious things now. I was, and some of you may well have been, very heartened, and this is radical Dharma here, by the extraordinary initiatives of the men and women who are ordained in Burma monks and nuns to go out on the streets. And as a a former monk myself for six years in Thailand and India, to actually take the step which treads the edge of the Vinaya rules of the Theravada monk, 227 of them, which is somewhat an exclusion from involvement in anything of political life there, because it's an apolitical network in that respect to actually say to themselves and to each other, and mostly the young monks, to discuss amongst themselves. We have to express some solidarity, but more than that, we have to step out on the streets and lead the walk, lead the, the yatra, a political walk, a political pilgrimage, to make our concern and our protest really strongly alive. It's very hard to communicate for those who have not been ordained the tremendous resolution the determination and the fears and the active discouragement, probably from quite a few orthodox abbots who say, keep out of these affairs and to go ahead and do it. And not just a handful, but those very brave ones who started initially. And then as I I haven't seen the news last three days, of course I met Spirit uh, Spirit Rock, but just got a a few lines and uh, Walt and I was telling me a little bit, uh, the person who kindly drove me over that for hundreds to go out on the streets is radical for the monks to do and nuns to do. And it, ex- it expresses something both powerful, um, beautiful, and it's the act of love. It is the t- true um, uh, expression of what compassion is. there, And it will... I'm sure it cannot be easy, just as you and I, with the intolerance of one of the most brutal regimes. I think it's in the, something like the lower five of 200 nations of the earth in Amnesty's list. And I do not have 
lot of association with, with Burma, of course, heartfelt. When I was there during the 1990s, which if I may, was arranged to, to, to give you a, a small illustration uh, of the situation of Burma, when I was there during the 1990s uh, for, a, for a visit, which incidentally was arranged by the UN and the uh, Burma Peace Foundation at the UN in Geneva, uh, Geneva for me to go to meet with Aung San Suu Kyi. And I had to go initially, firstly to Delhi, and to meet with the foreign minister, and then to meet with the democratic movement who were working on behalf and the support of Aung San Suu Kyi in, uh, in India. And they asked me to take a letter for to Aung San Suu Kyi. So, uh, and I looked at it, and it wasn't actually there. It was a whole package of stuff. <laughs> and... Um, uh, I thought, oh, you know, what am I going to do with it? And they said, oh, don't worry, no problem. Yeah, typically, <laughs> no problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I took this pack- package in. Uh, package in. Uh, there, and then there's all the shenanigans of how to get it to her. So then... Uh, for her, and then she directed me to her cousin. Who then, uh, then yeah, there's a meeting. On, uh, yeah, uh, you know, he was playing James Bond for a day. I loved it. <laughs> there, and after the meeting with her, what happened? She gives me a bunch of letters <laughs> to get out of Burma, and one of them was addressed to the Thai correspondent of the Washington Post, or etc. But one incident sticks in my mind. The housekeeper of the family that I stayed with, her son, she told me first hand, so it's not second hand, she told me that her son was watching a very small gathering in Rangoon of a small number of people who were speaking, students in fact, speaking up about the pressure in the universities, they're being closed down, etc. And her son was watching. All of them, the watchers of this, and this small group in the streets, very courageous, were all arrested and taken off to the prison. The son appeared in the court, quote, unquote, there. And the judge said to the son, do you plead guilty or not guilty to creating public disorder? And he said, not guilty, I was just just watching the, the group. The judge said, if you pleaded guilty, I would... I'll, uh, I would have given you 10 years. But since you pleaded not guilty, you get 15. He was then, this is the mother telling me, then sent to the far north of Burma, she told me, through the translator, she didn't speak English, far north of Burma, and a few weeks after, a message came down from the prison authorities that, and this is what they do, she, that is the mother, had to find approximately $900, which was a year's wages, because her son had leprosy, had not leprosy, malaria, dysentery, and if she really loved her son, she would find that money from the money lenders and get it to the prison authorities. They have hundreds, thousands of people in prison, and this is what they do. The officers, the people who run the prison, to squeeze every last bit they can out of the family and put fear and terror into their lives at the same time. This is this is the Burmese regime. Why can't the Burmese people do anything? 
The reason is twofold. One is, in every single family, there's somebody who is a soldier. They make sure. And the soldiers, of course, get indoctrinated. In the view and the belief, the primary view and the belief which holds up the Burmese government, the primary one is it, they are protecting Buddhism and the people from Western economic colonialism, and they keep telling the people what has happened to Thailand, which is a tragedy, the exploitation, the destruction of the forests, the, uh, the whole way of life being destroyed by, uh, by the uh, invasion of corporate life from over and military life from overseas. And they say, we're protecting Burma from all of this. And in that quote-unquote protection of all of that, of course, the people's lives is a horror. It's a nightmare, uh, a day and night. And in the villages and in the towns, People are afraid to speak because the, what occurs if two people speak and make reference to the government and anybody finds out, the agreement is, you, the understanding is, and it's well known throughout Burma, you simply go to the police station, you give the name or names and what is passed over to you is an envelope with a certain amount of money in it. And that keeps the control in every town, every village, every section of the city, everywhere. That's how they operate the system. And it's been operated like this for more than, what, 46, 47 years. And it takes enormous courage. And we, we, the the, the privileged, um, must keep the voice of concern alive. And, And word, despite everything they do, will get back into Burma. And that the fact that some of you here and elsewhere, and Jack Caulfield and others, rather the Chinese consulate here, that various other statements are going out, we must keep that alive, so that religion, the religion of Buddhism, with all its beauty, must not, under any circumstances, get isolated from real social, economic, global, and political concerns. Because it did in Burma, because it did in Thailand, which has had the military coup, because it did in Tibet, because it did in uh, uh, Sri Lanka with this ongoing war. There's not that engagement and that dialogue. The effect of it is this passivity. For all the talk of compassion in the Buddhist world, and I love it well, I love it uh, uh, dearly and uh, there, but for all the talk of it, it simply has been eliminated or eliminated itself from the dialogue for change. And we, you, I, others and people in these areas have to find the voice. And when I spoke with Aung San Suu Kyi about this, who uh, is quite, quite remarkable, and I said to her, Aung San Suu Kyi, and she'd been under house arrest since 1989, they let her out a little bit, then they clamped down again uh, there, you have to speak very carefully because there's all these hidden microphones, anything really important, you have to do it in the garden because they're watching all the time. When you go, they take your passport. They do that. And I said to her, how have you endured all of this? Because she made it clear. I said to her, it can't be easy for you. You're the mother of two children. Your husband, who's now dead, uh, was an Oxford uh, don, a <coughs> Tibetologist. It can't be easy being the mother of two that kind, teenage boys and the mother of the nation. And she said, I always said to the family, if the people of Burma need me, I have to make that the first, pri- first priority there. And she said, as far as the West goes, if people come to Burma, 
Only come to Burma for one reason, for practice. Don't come for tourism. You're just swelling the pockets of the rich, of the powerful, of the military. Just come for concern. Just come for, uh, for the Dharma. But, no, but not, for, for, not for any other reason. And I said to her, how did you endure it under house arrest? She refused to take anything from them. Uh, uh, this lovely house where she and the family were brought up has just been emptied out. Uh, I said, how do you endure it? And, you know, she, you know, she got the Nobel Prize. She said she endured it because of her vipassana practice. She said it kept her steady through the years. And without her practice, she said it would have just been too hard. It's a real credit to the practice. It's a great credit to her. And when I told um, Upandita, I had a meeting with him afterwards, you know, Mr. Granite, you know, Mr. Rock, you know, he makes most Zen masters like a cuddly bear. <laughs> and I spoke to him about my meeting with uh, Aung San Suu Kyi. Boy, oh boy, a tear came out of the granite. I mean, talk about squeezing water out of the stone. It was the first time in history. And he was just so touched. It was very uh, beautiful. A very beautiful moment. And how I could just sense and see from talking to him his enormous love and uh, enormous respect for Aung San Suu Kyi. And her respect for him because the book which was a great resource for her was translated or put together by a, um, I forget her name, called In This Very Life. Sharon. Sharon Salzberg and somebody else. Right? Yes. Um, so from the IMS uh, 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 Center uh, put, put that together. Uh, put all of this into, into radical dharma. To, in this case, both for her and for the monks and the nuns, that somehow the identity that you and I have mustn't imprison us through the form of the identity in such a way that it in, in any way inhibits the movement of love, the manifestation, the expression of it in our, in our day-to-day life. And it is one of the vulnerabilities of, uh, in a way, for us as practitioners of the cushion. It is a danger. What I, what I mean by that is, the resource for the cushion, the zafu, the sitting, is for empowerment. It is for a real clarity of life and circumstances. It is to face up to our existence, totally, fearlessly and directly. It is to bring something deep and profound and liberating and truthful out of the being. And everything which is its strength, and I mean everything which is its strength, has its weakness. And the weakness of it, the vulnerability of it, almost it can creep up in the passage of time and therefore prevents the radical vision, is the passive element. Due to the body being still, which is profoundly beautiful, you know, as you know, to sit and be still, just to move the little finger, is sometimes say, I've done far too much in that sitting. You know, the love of the element of the stillness is the empowering authority that can emerge through it from within. But if we're not ruthlessly clear, 
that passivity element has its own attraction. And particularly in the environmental culture that you and I move in. Instead of the engagement with life and the fearlessness that's required from you and I. The outcome of it is the attraction, the element of attraction towards the Zafu gains such a momentum that it, 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 it becomes an archetype. Understand? It becomes a mode, it becomes a language, it becomes a form, it, it becomes the thing. And one's a practice, oh my practice is falling apart. What? What are we talking about? We're talking, some people are talking, oh, I'm not meditating as much. As if practice and the Zafu was the same event. It's not. They can meet and not meet. And so we want to ask, our, ask ourselves, is, is, the, is the factor of attraction <coughs> bringing about in its movement a kind of idealizing and idolizing of the form and the posture and in some way or other it's getting slowly but gradually and the evidence is in the East where our traditions all come from slowly and gradually a distancing from the world and this dialogue the, the discourse of the inner and the outer has to be engaged in Otherwise, we'll slip towards the inner to such a degree. It's not the meditation on the self that we end up with. We end up with narcissism. That which we look to see through, we end up just thinking about ourself and wanting to feel good. Tragic. The very thing which is such a liberating force can be the very thing which is the imprisonment. The very, a very means for seeing the non-self, the non-I, me and my, becomes the I, me and my. Poof. Running the edge, whoa, what a life we have. <laughs> I'm speaking today up at uh, Spirit Rock. Quite a few of you have been at, at, at Spirit Rock. It's a little eccentric. They have these um, golf carts. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, um, you know. I've been coming for donkey's years, you know, and, uh, 25 years to the West Coast. So, a couple of days ago, I took my first ride in one of these golf carts. And then, I just had a... Totally unrelated to everything. Forgive me. And just had a flashback, a few weeks ago, we have a new Prime Minister in uh, Britain. And um, I won't say anything, because I want to keep in accordance with right speech. <laughs> and um, he came to visit your uh, President. Also, I will not say anything. <laughs> I'm in serious danger of seriously wrong speech. Um, and the media, the photographers were there, da 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 and you know, for the cameras so the United States president was the driver of the little golf buggy and our pri prime minister was sitting there and Mr. Bush seemed to want to impress the riding, his driving skills and he kind of zoomed round and 
our Prime Minister nearly kind of flew off into the sunset. <laughs> and this was plastered all over the British media. <laughs> and it's been the best event that has happened since your independence. <laughs> For the straw that broke the final the back of the British public in their relationship to this country. How could he want to throw our poor new Prime Minister out with the, uh, with the media? All right. Where was that? Oh yes, it's Spirit Rock. <laughs> so I got my ride up in the golf buggy. And giving the talks up there, which I re re refer to as, um, you know, the, at the top of the hill there, you know, I refer to the talks as the, the, the Sermon on the Mount, <laughs> etc. I can't think why. And, and in talking today, yeah. part of the theme of the talk, and a very, very uh, uh, important uh, theme, is the power of the expression of love. And sometimes in the Dharma world, Buddhist world, you know, we, we, you know, we speak of kindness, of course. We speak of uh, friendship, uh, we speak of compassion, the action of love to relieve and to resolve suffering, inwardly, outwardly. Of appreciative joy, the expression of love for the gladness, for gratitude, for kindness, for generosity, um, for the flowers, the nature, the the, the, the arts, uh, the theatre, whatever. And there's appreciative joy. It's an expression of love. And the equanimity, that steadiness in face of difficult situations. It seems to me that though there is immense value, one can't underestimate the value of this. But putting it all together, as I was just trying to do there and then. So we, the Dharma practitioners, we who have the blessing of the four uh, noble truths, the great resource for the liberation and emancipation of the human species, somehow have to liberate the love, if you see what I mean. We have to make sure that the love of our being, which is the great human interest, whether it's in popular culture, whether it's in religion with its beliefs, and whether it's in all the stories of uh, history or whatever, the movement of the love is the thread and the theme that runs through it. And our poets wisely keep reminding us of this. And I say, say this because I think sometimes in the direction in the field that some of us work in here and with, with us here, the priority can be rather a lot, sometimes too much meditation, too much on the buzzword of the time. This Currently it would be mindfulness. You know, This word is being used everywhere and uh, I have a book called Mindfulness. I, I do apologise. And um, uh, what are the themes? Um, sometimes of, uh, of, of, in, of change, of impermanence, uh, or of kindness. All, all of which is uh, uh, important and, and valuable and not to be underestimated. But I think somewhere in all of this, as, the, as a force, as a contribution towards a, a liberation of life, it really has to be uh, a movement which really sees presence and the potency of love as being far more significant and important than self or other. And 
we have to stay true to that. In the self or other, or us and them, love can diminish. And only has to look at, the, 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 we, in the time of the American Empire, right now, and its power on this earth, its destructive element on this earth, and those that give support to it. And it has the us and them about it, religious, political, you and I, I don't need to go into all of this with you. But the ex- cost of this will be the loss, the blind spots inside of ourselves to the po- importance of love. And when we go a little bit deeper, this is an aspect of all of this, is that in the depths of the being, and I think you know, anywhere else in the world, but especially here, one of the mantras which one hears, or somebody who comes here, and I've never travelled in the United States, you know, I, I, I just go New York, I go now these days here, and uh, I've never been anywhere in the United States. I have come and just listened to the United States mind, heart, inner life. This is, this is for me is the United States. And in the feeling life, not emotional life is feelings plus memory and impression and thought and idea and association and energy. But in the, depth of the feeling life, one of the strong tendencies in this society may not affect you, but it's certainly what I hear a lot, is people wanting to feel good about themselves. Give this idea up quickly. This is a rotten idea. It's an unhealthy idea. And it doesn't matter who feeds it to who. The professionals to the unprofessionals, you know what I mean. Human being whether we are the Buddhas of the Buddhas, and whether we are m- just doing our thing, whatever it, mi- it might be, dig a little deeper into the inner life. You and I will touch upon the realms, the, the experiences, which is pleasant, appreciative, enjoyable. Maybe we feel good about ourselves, or we feel good about others, or good about the situation. Or we won't feel so good about it. The big ones and the small ones. Or we won't feel so good about ourselves. This feeling, unpleasant, not feeling good about, whatever it might be, is a profoundly important feeling. And the tendency is, especially in the Vipassana world, is to it too quickly want to sugarcoat it in a pleasant feeling. And one of the methodologies for doing this is, oh, oh, I'm having a real hard time with this person. It's unusual. Really have, I don't feel good about this person. Oh, I don't want to judge this person. I just can't stand them. Remember, it's a metaphor for the whole dynamic of, of life. The us and the them, the one-to-one. It's the same story. It's just different scale. But it's the same story. Because all violence um, emerges from the pleasant feeling. Dwell on it.
the unpleasant feeling which is uh, there. The sugar coating of it can be, oh, I'm going to send this person whose personality I can't stand, whose behaviour I can't put up with for a uh, minute longer or whatever. I'm going to send this person lots of nice loving kindness. I'll kill them with my loving kindness. Whatever. I'll, 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 I'll sit on my cushion and send out these vibrations. They're like radiation treatment. It's not attending to it. It's bringing in the pleasant feeling to layer it over the top of the unpleasant one and to try to make things nice and comfortable. I don't think it will resolve these things. And if the person's quote-unquote behaviour, person's personality, if what the person says or does, stays or leaves, whatever the drama or the crisis or the violence, or whatever it is that may be arising. This generating, this methodology of nice vibes, will not be able to withstand the reactive form of behavior. And can't sugarcoat this existence with niceness to feel nicer oneself, and therefore look at that n- nice feeling through and at others. We've got to be very careful with it there. Because there is a value, a very deep and profound and beautiful value in the unpleasant feeling. It has deep meaning. And if one's interested in radical dharma, it has a very deep meaning. Because all valid, meaningful, direct action was never born from a pleasant feeling. Not a chance. It was born from a few people, a few men and women, saying, this is unsatisfactory. I don't feel good about this. The feeling I have inside is that something has to change, something has to be done. And it's on the foundation of that feeling, that beautiful feeling, we transform this world. Don't be in love with your pleasant feelings. Don't have too much interest in feeling good about yourself. It's a nightmare. very slight exaggeration. So the movement at the depth of the pleasant and the unpleasant is an important interaction. Too much leaning in the one direction called the unpleasant will never last. It will eat you up. It will burn you out. The waves of information, of knowledge of circumstance will be tiring. You'll be a jaded human being. The pleasant in life for the radical Dharma has a profound role and the profundity of the role is our happiness speaks volumes as well. It's vital that we enjoy the dance of life. It's vital that we play that we're creative, that we use the resources of love, of the romance of life, of the solitude and the silences and the nature and the retreats and the form and the places where the voices are. You feel there's something beautiful in the air and there's much love and, and deep, profound, symbolic reminders. We need them. 
Because in the depth of the being, the pleasant and the unpleasant, for the Buddhas or the ordinary, and the whole range of us all between, in the pleasant and the unpleasant, in the depth of that, all human stories are built on. Everything is built on that. And as the Buddha said, life comes together in the feelings. A great insight. When I, when I have an idea with my feelings, I feel good about what I believe. I feel good about what is right. I feel I, we, know, whatever that may be, and whatever may that may show itself. The feeling of good and the idea of it is the greatest torment in history. Because once that is built up, there has to be the polar which says not good, bad, wrong, evil. They don't know. We know. Upon the feeling of pleasant and the view which builds up on it in the mind, there upon that is the imposition of the idea. Hence the conflict with the Arab community. Hence the conflict with the Arab community with the American Empire. So it takes some dialogue, as I mentioned. It takes some authentic discourse and exchange together. And we need to use the wonderful resources that we have in the Dharma to look very deeply. As the Buddha said, the whole world is found in this fathom-long body. We need to look very deeply, but not to the degree that in some way or other it's isolating. It's about being an authentic human being. It's about a total engagement with life which makes acknowledgement for the formless of silence and stillness and solitude and aloneness and presence. And, and it says this is not to be preferred above something else. The meeting with life and the acts of generosity and since finally in the act of generosity in a way, in a rather beautiful way for you and I whatever stage of life you and I might be in. We didn't ask to be born. You and I didn't say at any point, we're out there in the ether realms, say, well, I think I'll, I think I'll be born in San Francisco. It wouldn't be my first choice, but anyway. I love you. And um, you know, we just found ourselves in this environment, we don't really know, nobody knows how we actually got here. We can explain it, past lives, karma, re rebirth, etc. Yawn, yawn. <laughs> more importantly, <laughs> forgive me, more importantly, we found ourselves, as it were, in something which is a, from an unknown into a known. And even the known is tiny, determined by the little consciousness that we have determined by the little modest brain cells that are, that are up here. We think we have all the questions about life. Maybe the questions we have are very, very limited themselves because of the structure of our consciousness and the content. 
Yet there's enough in all of this to explore, to uh, uh, engage with life. And in all of that movement and exploration to liberate the being, to feel the sense of liberation of the being. And that must mean that inner and outer is meaningless. There's no scrap of truth in it. It's a convention. It's the habit of the mind drawing the line. So, eyelids drop, in comes the label inner. Eyelids open, up comes the label outer. Where did the line... Because the eyelids moved? Even that which by common consent we subscribe to. But in the truth of things, there's no inner and outer. In the truth of things, there is no us and them. In the truth of things, there is no self and other. There never was. And that's our liberation from it. And that releases something rather beautiful. It's called love. Naturally. Can't, can't be explained, but it just happens to do it. Doesn't release, release much else. Releases some wisdom, yes, some understanding, some great interest in life, but primarily it releases love. Because the self and other, which hold it and measure it and shape it and decide <laughs> it, so it doesn't have any meaning. It just gets released. Enough. Anything you'd like to say, re- re- respond, or whatever? Said, uh, you said all yes, violence sir. comes from the good feeling. Yeah. Meaning that what you explained that then the opposite, the idea of the opposite is then born out of that? Yeah. It, it, they would usually think of violence coming from pa- painful feelings, you know, it's a normal kind of view, reaction, etc. But probe a little deeper with it. And try to keep it. I may out of the cause a little bit, of course I lent that way. But the reaction comes to be acknowledged for our awareness that there is a feeling or a sense or an idea, I know what is good. Mm. I may not have any choice, but this is what had to be done. I had, I had to do that. A friend of mine is a therapist working with violent men. And he said to one man who had brutally beaten up his wife, I mean punched her in the face, etc., etc. Why did you do it? Why did you, why did you, why, why did you hit your wife in the face? And he, he said, um, it felt right. I had to do it. I had to teach her a lesson. There's no ability to see that that feeling, I know what's good for you. There's no awareness, there's no ability to sense or even filter the movement from the inner, so-called inner, uh, you know, on top. Oh. And when people are attached to the pleasant, it's very, very difficult to deal with the unpleasant. Mm. 
very <coughs> and the, 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 the small indication of coming to New York City I tried to make my you know, the pilgrimage to the site of 9-11 in the immediate wake afterwards when 90% of the country according to opinion polls supported the invasion upon uh, uh, Afghanistan it would appear from European eyes that the psyche of the country was very badly hurt by the obscenity of the event. The identification with the pleasant feeling and the image of us made it very, very hard to handle the hurt and the pain. And when people, the individual or the collective, cannot handle the unpleasant, the hurt and the pain, it reacts against the perpetuators. In other words, it inflicts precisely the same upon. In this case, using planes as well. Mm -hmm. Because the identification with the pleasant inhibits it from being able to handle the painful and the unpleasant. That's why one's got to be very, very watchful of this idea of wanting to feel good about things or good about oneself. It has a place. Exaggerate the place and the rage, the anger, the violence, the hurt the feelings of betrayal and all this will, will just emerge. Mm. Yeah, teachings are a teaching of liberation. No preferences for the pleasant and the unpleasant. Recognizing their deep factor of human existence. Yes, anyone would like to ask? Very serious subject tonight. Mm. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> what, I, yes, please, what, what I got was mm. this, the pillow was just a launching pad. Yeah. To, yes. To, to move out into the world, take this idea, the expressions of love, and how do I bring that life in my interactions to my community? Yes. Yeah. Mm. Yes. I think it's important. This is not where I want to be pillow. It, the, the movement of the life, our stillnesses, our times of silence and solitude, are very, very important because we need the renewal. No human being can weather the storms of giving and service, morning, noon and night. It is simply impossible. There has to be renewal. And those who work too hard for others do tend to get terribly exhausted and stressed out. The helpers need the help. Then. The meditations and the silences and the stillnesses are a wonderful, valuable feature. But we don't live on the cushion at any level. And I'm not saying, therefore, each one of us has to be overtly political and we have to see what is valuable and what, uh, what works. I don't, even, I don't even say that one should be engaged in service. No. But I do say, love is powerful. I do say, let's explore it. And let's see ways that we can bring it into all sorts of events. And let's see, as the Buddha said, to engage with it without measuring it. 
because the vulnerability with all this psychological knowledge that we have and all the interpretation, there's too much measuring of the love. Oh, my mother didn't give me enough love. My partner's not giving me enough love. My kids don't love me enough. Etc., etc. It's all, all measuring, measuring. And it's impossible to satisfy that desire for more. We've got to stay true to the expressions of love and to keep generating it in all the directions. And that may take some of us into the more overtly what is called social political area. But it's vitally important one isn't carrying with it the pleasant feeling of doing good. We're not in this world for doing good. It's not what it's about. Doing good carries with it far too much self and other. I am doing good for. No, it's not what it's about. Yes, anyone, please. Um, I, I think that that's narcissism certainly can play a role when you're socially engaged as well. Yes, go on. Um, right, yes. And I'd be interested to hear you address the role of anger when it comes to social change work. Yes, sure. My, um, couple, couple of uh, uh, things, just a little bit of background for a moment there. Um, twice, you, you, here you use the metaphor ran, in England we say stood. So twice I stood for uh, Parliament for the Green Party in some other lifetime. Yeah. And... Uh, the social, political engagement in a variety of uh, uh, ways. And um, before I touch on the, uh, uh, the ang uh, anger, where I live in Totnes, in um, the West Country of England, it's the kind of, uh, well, the media calls it the New Age capital, or the New Jerusalem. Got to be better than the present one. Gosh. And... Um, and, but there's a lot of uh, good deep thinking which is going on. And one of the projects that we have is called TTT, Transition Town Top Mess. And the initiative behind all of this is hundreds of people are involved to make every area of our life really sustainable. And it's provoked the interest of, of cities now and towns and who are sending their uh, uh, people from elected officials to um, uh, others, um, aldermen, people in the corporate sector. Da, 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 da. Two, that we have to, in the times that we live, with all the scientific information that we have at hand, we have to undergo a fundamental change of lifestyle. Fundamentally. Everything has to be looked at. Everything that we do, buy, sell, engage, use, etc. There. And... That, I know, in degrees, also obviously taking place in such a progressive city as San Francisco. <coughs> but it's a vital aspect. Sometimes, in the social scene, social, people use the language of, oh, we have a right to be angry. You should feel angry. Oh, no, you shouldn't. And what really struck me as an example... I was uh, a couple of years ago having meetings in 
what's called the Grand Committee Room in, in Parliament. And trying to, with others, set up some uh, peace minister in the government. And the leader of the House of Lords, which is our undemocratic, unelected um, body, said that the worst people to communicate with of any groups that come to speak with us are the peace activists. <laughs> Why? Because they're so angry. <laughs> the anger is part of the problem, not part of the cure. The notion and the idea and the belief system of justifiable uh, anger from a Dharma standpoint has to be addressed. And there is no point in trying to switch over to a rather happy, passive, nice Buddhist. There are already far too many. Some are in this room. And and the difficulty in our in the Dharma world, and it's a significant difficulty, it's a challenge for all of us. We've got to be prepared to run the edge. And what I mean by that, there is a difference, and you've got to know the difference, and some of us you know, play the edge, the difference between passion and criticism, and the voice of criticism, the voice of serious, ongoing analysis which looks things in the eye, which speaks them directly, and a passion, and being angry. The anger has a destructive element. It, there is enough anger in this world already. We don't need more anger. The anger is everywhere, it's pervasive. In the domestic situations, in the social, on the streets, the anger towards ourselves, towards uh, others, the aggression, the wars. It, it, yet we need our passion. And our passion hopefully communicates our, our love. And with the anger, the confirmation of the anger is the us and them. That's the telling us there's anger here. It's the us and them. I write, I'm right, I know, you don't know. Yet, not to again lace it in this appalling language of oneness I mean it's enough to make some of us go <laughs> like, like that this language of oh we're all, all one oh no we're not let's not go too far Everything's in, everything is one oh no it isn't it's just to paint everything with the same brush there is diversity. There's an extraordinary amount of it. And somehow, love, passion, criticism, the engagement with life is uh, a huge task. And to watch the solidification of I and you, us and them. And sometimes with the anger, it's just notice, it's a practice. If you are communicating with somebody, whoever it is, and the word you comes out of the mouth, which is not unusual. 
<laughs> Is the rest of it verbal diarrhea? Being unceremoniously dumped on some poor person because they pick their nose. Or because they do something you don't like. It's, do you, do I, bring up the history and start beating somebody up with the, what they did for not being a Buddha? If we do, it's anger. Every time, the anger is not necessarily the emotion. Every time, chief of staff, a prime minister, a president, signs a piece of paper and authorizes young men and women to go to land, sea and air and kill and murder others, whatever the rationale the reason is. In the Dharma language, it's an act of hatred. It's the violence. The emotion may not even be present. It may not even be shown in any way whatsoever. It can operate through the mind as coldly and as clinically and as terribly that not a single feeling will be shown about it. But it's the act of hate. It's the act of murder. It's the act of violence. It's not necessarily found in the, in, in the overt emotion. Practice is always looking at our anger. Our practice is always looking at how it shows itself. Our practice is always looking at the self or other or us or them and how somehow it's hooked onto it. And that's always a great challenge for us. So that we keep our voice of concern alive, we keep our voice of criticism very much alive, and we keep our, our passion alive, our love alive. Yes, anyone, please. Christopher, could you yes. say something about the Bodhisattva ideal? And I ask it both as a kind of pertinent, alive question about how that's understood and misunderstood and how different traditions use it. Yeah. The question about the, the bodhisattva ideal. My tread on toes here. Forgive me. I'm a little wary in immediate response to archetypes. And the bodhisattva one in the old tradition is one hell of an archetype. And it's rather a a phenomenon with the movement of the self and its manifestation, its arising. You and I will meet you know, certain people. And we could say of him or of her, well, this person's a true bodhisattva. It's a, a shorthand description in the Buddhist language to give acknowledgement of the love and the compassion that people exude. Hmm? They give, yeah? Yeah, yeah. And and I think it's valuable in that respect for us to have contact and association with people who we find um, inspiring. And there's some very beautiful human beings, beautiful human beings in this room, beautiful yeah. Because some of their wisdom and their love and their compassion, with a bit of luck, might 
rub off on us. You know, it's miraculous, but it might. And um, we need every drop there. That association, as the Buddha said, that association with such people is immensely valuable. We need community, we need each other, we need the support that we can give to each other, all of us without exception. And it allows us, with that, to move into areas where it's more difficult and more challenging. The Sangha supports each other so that some of us can go into other areas where it's less supportive. And then we, we gain our renewal from each other. The setting up of any ideal for oneself is to start the measurement of the love. Ooh. Merciless. Because it, will, it, it builds a, a picture in the psyche of the uh, ideal. One starts bringing all things that one feels one should do to match up to this ideal. Yet there is no point, uh, there's no point in the place in time where the self is going to be able to say, do you know something? I'm a bodhisattva. <laughs> I've done my practice. <laughs> I had the ideal. I've done everything that my guru, teachers, Rinpoche, masters, whoever it might be, have told me. And I just want you to know I'm now a bodhisattva. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, w- would you like any compassion from me? <laughs> <laughs> you know. So it's a rather <laughs> bizarre phenomena. Yeah. Uh, 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 with it, and it is a great pity. I do think the Earth, Mother Earth, genuinely and authentically requires uh, gods and goddesses. I do think they are very important for us. Sadly, the gods and goddesses, and the true spirit of them, you know, whether from the ancient Greeks or from uh, uh, ancient India, modern India, in the best sense of uh, Rama and Sita. Shiva and Pavati and Radha and Krishna and contemporary gods and goddesses. Uh, Aung San Suu Kyi is a goddess. Has been hijacked by those villains in Hollywood. We've, 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 we've lost contact with the gods and the goddesses and we substituted them with actors. People who are very good at not being themselves. <laughs> All with the rich and shameless. And they become the gods and goddesses. To be rich, to be famous, or to be famous first and rich after, or both together best. And that's a tragedy for us. Because the false and the deceptive and the exploitive and the ego has hijacked it. And we've got to rediscover in the communities, in the people on the planet, it's very beautiful uh, uh, people. I was talking with Jack Cornfield today, we were having lunch together, and he was speaking about a very dear friend of his, greatly important to him, um, a Palestinian. Spent six years in Israeli jails. I go to Israel every year. I also many good friends who are Palestinians, and I love these communities of Israel and Palestinians very much, and it's a great tragedy what's unfolding there. And as Jack was saying, sometimes we meet someone and you just 
the wisdom, the clarity, the love, uh, the preciousness of that hum human being. It's inspiring and it's insightful. And Jack and he were planning to go to Israel together. There. And the man uh, uh, from a sudden and very unexpected heart attack died, I think, uh, uh, last year. And, and the man, uh, Palestinian man, made a, married a, a Jewish woman. Just that's those things, these people of the earth are beautiful. And we, we need these, the, I call these the gods and the goddesses. People that we look up to are inspiring, are insightful. And of course, and being human at the same time as well. They're, they're very important people on the earth. And I think that's an easier way to go, for me anyway, maybe for, for some, and, and with love in mind, than the ideal. I think the ideal is always problematic. Let's see in the real flesh. Anyone else, sir? Where's Erica? Where's Erica? Gone to the beyond. <laughs> Maybe, all right. Then I'll just say a little bit about uh, love and generosity and kindness. <laughs> Can't let you go without saying that, can I? Anyone else find any question or response? Or yeah, please do. You feel free. Um, I think the flip side of what you, you know what you talk about when you're saying feeling good about yourself, which is dangerous. Yes. Um, the flip side of the same coin is self-flagellation, which is also yes. dangerous. Yes. And I, I, I wanted, I was just wondering if you could address that. I think yeah. they are very, very close. They're the same thing, really, on some level. The very first discourse of the the Buddha in Saranath in uh, India. It's got a rather bizarre translation. He said, human beings, as he said, are caught up in the self. One is self-obsessing, self-loving, self-preoccupation, self-angredizement, self-boosting. And the other is self-rejection, putting of oneself down, self-flagellation, as you said. And the teachings are a liberating teachings in which one is neither caught up in constantly thinking about what's good for me, nor the swing on the other extreme of I'm no good, I'm worthless, I, 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 I. And one of the unfortunately mad ideas that percolate, some people say, oh, before I can let go of myself, I have to build it up. Yeah. And the person who originally said it swears black and blue he didn't say it. So <laughs> we won't mention names because we're English. So either way, it's still ego. It's just as big an ego trip to put oneself down as it is to build oneself up. There's no difference between the two. It's self grasping onto feelings and story and going with this with it or this with it. It's the same movement but in different directions there. And we've got to have a sense of what life is without either of those movements. And there are moments in the day when you and I are not preoccupied with ourselves, either putting it up or putting it down, or putting somebody else up or putting them down. And once we have a little sense, that is the whisper, that is the open door of what the middle way is about. And that open door of the middle way is the liberating force, and the love will come with it. Naturally, easily, effortlessly, without any work. It's got nothing to do 
with your mother not giving you enough love, if I may say so. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Erica, I was just asking after you. <laughs> We're missing you. And um, should I just give five minutes for a little on the, the, the down and the, 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 And then anything you'd like to say or where they leave their American Express cards or whatever. <laughs> All right, I'll just say five minutes. And then I'll, all right, there you go. So a little bit from the personal here, and a little bit uh, there. Um, just want to mention uh, uh, the personal. In coming regularly to um, uh, the United States, and as I mentioned a little while ago, the act of kindnesses and generosity here in small and large ways, is one of the great, great features of this society. For all the things which about America which has given me white hair, <laughs> that nevertheless there is a very wonderful uh, tradition of kindness and uh, generosity. And it's reflected right where we're sitting. That people, the previous generations and the current ones are and continue to give so much because we love the, the Dharma of the Buddha of awakening, we love the Dharma of teachings and practices, and we love the Sangha. These are the great jewels, and we are just so blessed beyond compare that we have association with that. And it's truly an open Dharma of exploration. It's a great thing there. And just for myself, in just coming, and since I uh, left the monkhood 31 years ago, I've had the uh, privilege of seeing, as many of you have done as well, the emergence and the flowering of centers and teachers and practices and resources, and it constantly grows you know, at, a, at, the gl- at the global level. And it's been not only an inspiration, what's been taking place here, especially the Zen Center is one of the early places, um, the Haus der Stiel in North uh, Germany near Hamburg, which was opened in the 1960s, the Buddhist Center, first one in Europe, retreat center, was uh, started in, in the time of fascism and kept going even through the war in the outside uh, Berlin and still, still running. And all these things still require the kindness and love, generosity. And new seeds and flowering uh, can take place. And as one who, with my pretty well all, whole adult life involved in the Dharma since the early 20s and hitchhiking to India and uh, the years in the monkhood, and then, of course, last 30 years plus now, of living totally on donations, no income, no source of income, just what people put in the bowl, has been the support which enables me to continue. And it's the same spirit uh, this evening, and on, on the other evenings, that the act of generosity, the act of giving, is one of the is a very obvious, palpable expression of love. The self and the other is, of course, to be acknowledged. Where it is on this small planet, and as one, as a teacher who uh, is in four continents uh, uh, every year, for me the planet is a very small place because I have to move around it so much. It's like I just feel it's like my back garden, you know, just a little place where I go to, and the act of the giving, the self and the other is less important. Means who gives 
is not so important. The knowing that it's going to something meaningful and valuable, that is important, that is the act of love, but where it is, that's not important. The other of the form, the fact that it's, oh, it's not in San Francisco, the, it's in, uh, in Spain or in India or wherever it might be, is far less important, the self and the other, than the movement of the love, the act of the generosity. And just as life is kind of given to us, just as it's a, 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 it's a certain kind of gift uh, of itself, it's a manifestation of something, we, you and I, we also can participate in that same movement of the act of the giving. And you and I have received so much, have enabled us to be here this evening, tremendous conditions make it possible, and the act of the, the giving ensures something beautiful has sustained itself. And what is profoundly beautiful about the act of giving, as the practice, as the generosity there, it works, it's rather beautiful they always feel, it works outside the law. The law the law of the lawyers, the law, the law of the judiciary, is, I give you this, it may be a, an item, a consumable, it may be a service, and many of you are engaged in perhaps one or both of those, and in exchange, you give me money. It's an exchange of service or consumable for money. And there's an agreement, and that agreement is called the law. The law works within the agreement. And if you break the law, it means one's taking, the other's not giving. People don't like it if you w walk into Woolworths and walk off with things and say, well, uh, you know, I'm not into the law, <laughs> uh, etc. There. <laughs> the gift works outside the law. The law is about keeping it or breaking it. There's no other, is there? But the gift is not in that field. It's not in the world of exchange. It's the expression of something beautiful. It's the act of the human being contributing to something valid and worthwhile. And I heard that one of your economists said that there are roughly one and a half million foundations and charitable institutions in this world. There is a tremendous amount of love in this world, do not underestimate it. In Britain alone, there are 190,000 charities. So, it's a very potent and powerful force. And it's coming from a beautiful place. It is a pity that sometimes we go to places, you know, and you've got this list of names, and this is the, you know, Johnny Smith Library, and the Mary Jane Foundation. And what's that fellow's name who runs Microsoft? <laughs> Bill, Gates. Bill, Bill Gates. The Bill Gates, da di da di da. Uh, it's a little pity that the self is latched onto it. Here we give. We just give. And your support and your kindness and your love and your friendship for the Dharma at the global level is very, uh, very, very precious. And the. The gift is given with the understanding, and for myself and for the centres there, that that which is given is treated with the greatest of respect, because it's a gift. And therefore it's the 
responsibility as from the standpoint of the act of love that when we receive a gift we in our relationships with the gift treat the gift with the respect that it deserves because it's come from another who has offered and that's the unspoken agreement to use the gifts whatever the form wisely and sensitively so I understand from uh, Erica this evening well, she didn't say I'm saying you can't go out to that door that's right they can't leave from that through that door I'm saying this they, don't they have to go that way to get out to get out yeah. oh, yes, yes. yes yeah 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 right all right okay so it, it, uh, in other words when you um, uh, make your short yatra to go home pilgrimage you, you kind of follow uh, the, that, that the way and I uh, understand that um, the good people have organized the evening um, but have some information there is that right Brilliant. All right. So that that's uh, then also to thank all of you for taking the time this evening to uh, come. L- absolutely lovely to uh, be with you, to lend an ear, to listen to uh, your questions, and for all the love and support that you give to the three jewels. What could be better? Namaste. Om. Shalom. Salam. Good night, good sleep.